You better believe it. It might shock some of you to hear this, but I wasn't always the polished and refined author you've come to know and love. In fact, I was actually a bit of a tomboy in my youth. I liked to dress in sweatpants and sweatshirts, hated combing out my hair, and rarely, if ever, changed my socks. I found it difficult to clean my room or make my bed or do any of the things Daddy told me to do, and I absolutely despised bathing. Many and ferocious were the fights he and I had about that particular topic. My argument was simple. What was the point? I was just going to get dirty again the next day. Because you stink, Amanda, and I have to smell you. Daddy, that's mean. No, it ain't. It's the truth. Ain't nothing worse smelling than a 12-year-old except a 12-year-old who's been rolling around with goats all day long. Daddy always did have a pretty way of making sense. All of my wayward personal hygiene came to an end the day I matriculated to intermediate school and met the sexy seven. That actually kind of sounded weird now that I wrote it down. But that's what they called themselves, the Sexy Seven. There was only one intermediate school in the county back then, which meant I came into contact with the kids who lived in the new housing developments in the North End for the first time, and the North End was rich. Not filthy rich, but a lot richer than the rest of us, and that's where the Sexy Seven hailed from. Their name was an impressive display of alliterative cleverness for a group of girls whose average GPA was in the low twos, a number that was skewed by the single B average student among them. And even that was a bit deceptive, given the fact that the girl who earned that B average was homeschooled and had transferred from Alabama in the middle of the prior year. And what they lacked in intelligence, they made up for in pure, unadulterated meanness. That ain't nothing new. Middle school mean girls, that is. But until you've been on the receiving end of an all-out mean girl assault, you don't know what emotional pain feels like. Unfortunately for them, there are only six official members of the Sexy Seven an oversight that I wish I could say was uncharacteristic, or unnoticed. It took a barb from a more powerful enemy to point it out to him. Because of their lack of mathematical prowess, the Sexy Seven were desperate for another member. It was a matter of group pride, if such a word could be used to describe the lowliest, no-good, backstabbing, two-faced, double-crossing, lying, cheating, gossiping, petty, spiteful, hateful, vindictive, sad, nasty, vulgar, filthy pieces of trash I ever had the displeasure of coming into contact with. It wouldn't be just any girl, too. They had to find one they could bully and mold into one of their own. A project. Someone they could raise up from the muck and the cow flops of Spotsylvania County and fashion into a rare and precious jewel like Red Barrel or Muscovite. And that's where I came in. Amanda, you might say, why don't they just change their name to the Sexy Six? Now that's a good question. Mainly I think it was because they'd already established themselves under their current moniker and changing marketing strategies was bound to lose them some followers. Anyway, you know where this is going. They propped me up and got me all a swirl with their nonsense. Within two weeks of the beginning of my seventh grade year, I went from a bath-hating, goat-smelling tomboy to a two-shower-a-day-wears-my-conditioner-and-makeup girly girl. Daddy must have thought I'd been taken over by an alien. Well, if he was worried, he needn't have been. It all ended in October. 
I can't remember how it all went down. Maybe I got more popular than the queen bee. Maybe I did or said or thought something they all found offensive. Maybe a boy took an interest. Who knows? I just remember one afternoon collapsing at the kitchen table and crying my eyes out until my makeup ran down my face like a charcoal river. Daddy was standing next to the refrigerator drinking his afternoon cup of joe. He watched me weep for a little while, wisely waiting for it to finally peter out before saying anything. Don't worry, Manda. They'll get theirs one day. <laughs> you think so? I know so. I don't believe in God, but I believe in karma. See, karma's the universe's way of... I know what karma is. I just want it to happen to them sooner than later. Well, that ain't the way it works. I know. You want something to drink? Yeah, I guess I do. I heard him banging around on the wood stove for a while, and then he put a steaming mug of blueberry tea in front of me. My favorite. I took a sip and wiped a tear from my eye. Why'd they do that, Daddy? They were so nice, and then they... I never did nothing to them. Uh, I wish it made sense, Manda, but it don't. And they're just kids, for one, and that's a big part of it. Some of them will never grow out of it. You know, I, I just think they're so miserable inside that they need to control other people. Being in control makes them feel good, at least for a little while. <laughs> well, it's mean is what it is. I think it's kind of sad. I guess, but if they ever try to do anything like that to me again, I'm going to break every one of their noses. Daddy leaned back, a little shocked. I don't care, Daddy. Nobody treats me like that and gets away with it. You better believe it. He put his hand on my back and gave it a rub. Well, I believe it. And then I broke down crying again. It... It was just too much. Daddy rubbed my back and let me let it out. You'll be okay, sweet pea. <laughs> Don't call me sweet pea. Okay. I'm not sure why I told Timmy Carter that story. Maybe it was because the hike from the farm to the food bank was long and hard and boring, and we made the trip over a dozen times over the course of the past couple of days. Or maybe it was just because I missed my daddy and wanted to bring him back to life, even for just a moment. Timmy Carter might have had arms like a rhinoceros, but... He was one of the most gentle people I'd ever knew. He was quiet and reflective and, unlike most of the men I ever met, actually listened when I spoke to him. Neither of us said nothing for a while, just focused on slogging through the snow, picking him up and putting him down. I'd trailed off into my own thoughts when Timmy Carter spoke up for the first time since we left the farm. What's going on with that girl you found? Girl? Don't try to play like you don't know, Amanda. I saw two sets of footprints in the snow the day after you won missing. Damn! See, that's the thing about Timmy Carter. He might not seem like he was all there, but that don't mean he actually isn't. It's the quiet ones you gotta look out for. How'd you know it's a she? I didn't. You just told me. Well, that don't beat the barn. Timmy Carter, you sly little dog, you. How'd you learn that trick? Timmy Carter smiled and tapped his forehead. I'll be tarred. Ray swore up and down nobody'd find out. Ray's in on it, too? Damn! It wasn't like you two were being secretive. I've seen you bringing food up there. I'm surprised you let her use your daddy's room. Yeah, well, daddy don't have no use for it no more. He was a good man, Manda. You were lucky to have a good man like him to take care of you. I know. Timmy Carter stopped and gently touched my shoulder. Not everybody had a good man for a father. He rolled up his sleeve and showed me his forearm. It was puckered with old scars. Some slug-like, some long and thin some with legs from the stitches sticking out the side. I didn't know what to say to that. Daddy might have been a little gruff with me sometimes, and he certainly didn't mince words when he needed to get his point across, but he never raised a hand to me or Mama in anger. 
or anyone else for that matter. He liked dogs and kittens and babies. And I couldn't imagine a life with a man who did to me what Timmy Carter had done to him. Damn, Timmy Carter. Now you're making me feel bad. Didn't mean to. You had something nice, and that's beautiful. That made me laugh. It sure is a good thing he ain't around to hear that. He'd never let me forget it. I bet he wouldn't. A stray snowflake fell on Timmy Carter's nose, and he squinted up into the sky. It hadn't snowed in a couple of weeks, not since the blizzard. But even though the weather had been clear and sunny, the temperature never got higher than 20. I looked up and saw a mass of dark black clouds rolling in from the west. The air pressure changed, grew heavier, more oppressive. You know how you can smell the snow on the wind before a big storm, clean and sweet? Yeah, we smelled that. Living in Virginia was often like living in a biosphere that was subjected to every kind of weather all on the same day. But with the relative calmness that followed the last storm, I guess we just weren't expecting another one so soon. Timmy Carter, you ever see a storm roll in like that before? Not a storm, no. Another plug of black clouds appeared, this one north of the first one. Two different storms, balled up like bears and screaming tortoise. I believe I saw a lightning streak across the front of the new one. And seeing as that did not look good for either of us, we started to run. Which was a pretty hopeless enterprise, because have you ever tried to outrun the weather on foot? In about two feet of snow? That's about as smart as asking a goat to build a computer. Which is to say, we was quickly overtaken by both storms. The snow whipped around us, stinging my face, choking me, stealing my breath. Went from bright and sunny to midnight black in about five minutes. Then it got worse. Remember that rumbling sound I heard right before Gary T. had his guts torn out? Well, it ramped up behind us. I reached out and grabbed Timmy Carter by the neck and pulled his head down so I could shout in his ear, You hear that? Yeah. We gotta hide. What is it? Same thing that got Gary T. Come on. I cut to the right, thinking maybe we could escape out the side of the storm, but it seemed to turn with us. We turned east. It turned east. We turned north. It turned north. That was not natural. Not by a long shot. If we didn't get out of it pretty soon, well, I didn't want to think about that. Fortunately for us, and unfortunately for that storm, I was a Spotsylvania girl, born and raised. Farms and fields and rural attitude ran through my veins thicker than blood. I knew where we were like I knew the layout of my own house. We'd been tramping through an open field heading northwest when the weird storms hit. An open field that was just to the west of the Nye River Reservoir. And Nye River Reservoir was my reservoir. I don't mean to say that I owned it, but I wouldn't be a good citizen of the county if I'd never been there. Nye River Reservoir was the story of every summer of my life. I fished there, boated there, swam there, camped there, hunted there, and because of that, I knew there was a stone shelter in the woods, one every kid I'd ever knew played in. It was our natural fortress, literally, because if we ever got caught in a thunderstorm, we could hide in it. The rocks had to be at least ten feet tall and stuck into the earth like giants had thrown them from the top of a mountain. If they couldn't withstand whatever the shadows threw at us, I don't know what could. We broke out of the woods and onto the shore of the reservoir, and the storm followed us. Then a huge, rumbling ball shot out of the gloom and skidded across the ice, sending a gusher into the air. I only saw it for a second, but it was black and green and studded with horrible-looking spines. It wasn't a hive, but it wasn't not a hive either. It was a new terror, that was for sure. I watched it spin out on the slick surface, the spines chunking into the ice and scramble for purchase, trying to zero back in on us. But I couldn't watch for too long before icicles started crashing down all around. I slipped as I ran on the frozen sand, and one of the icicles stabbed me right in the shoulder. 
I cried out and fell, and Timmy Carter ran up behind me and grabbed me and launched me forward. The second ball shot out of the woods and landed right where we'd just been, bouncing once and crashed through the ice. Where are you going? Timmy Carter yelled. I pointed my good arm at the pile of stones sticking out of the woods where the water curved back into the little harbor. Stone Fort! We made a run for it. It was only 50 yards away, but we were exhausted. Running through snow ain't the easiest thing to do in the world. On top of that, my arm had been pierced by an ice knife, which, now that I think about it, is the first time I'd ever said something like that out loud. We made it to the rocks and clambered up the side, but it was covered in snow, and I couldn't find exactly where we used to go in. Where's the opening? Timmy Carter yelled. I don't know, it's covered in... Then something cracked, and I fell through. Timmy Carter jumped in right after me. The rumbling sound shook the rocks all around us, the sand beneath us, the very air itself. The spiny ball crashed into the fort, shaking snow and ice and centuries-old dirt onto our heads. And even though my teeth rattled so hard that I thought they'd fall out, and even though I felt the concussion so deep in my bones that they ached, the shelter held firm. There was a moment of silence when all we could hear was the whirl of the storm above us. Then a second crash came, and a third, and a fourth. Over and over, the spiny balls rammed into the rocks. It seemed to go on forever. I was screaming, and Timmy Carter had curled up in a ball next to me. Felt like we were in the middle of World War II, and I think that I finally understood why soldiers lost their minds. Then suddenly, it stopped. I waited for another ball to hit, and waited, and waited. Then one didn't, I screamed. But the impact was much weaker than before. And after a time, the storm diminished, and the wind grew weaker and weaker until there wasn't any. And through the hole in the rocks, I saw the sky above turn blue and sunny. I checked the icicle in my arm, but it had already cracked in half and the shard in my arm melted, leaving the wound open, but numb. I was about to crack a joke about it to Timmy Carter when another voice took my place. Well, ain't you the two most unlucky bastards to ever live? A light filled the stone fort, and sitting across from us was a bearded old man holding a shotgun. Timmy Carter sat up to turn his full bulk on the guy, but that didn't seem to bother the old man very much. In fact, he aimed both barrels at his chest and smiled, revealing the brown and gap-toothed palate Daddy used to refer to as the Spotsylvania scowl. So much meat in your bones, big fella. You're going to be a popular one. new friend's name was Otis. At least that's what he told us as he marched us along. Name's Otis, if you were wondering, he said. Timmy Carter didn't respond, but I sure did. Mister, I don't care two shakes what your name is. Why are you doing this? We don't mean you no harm. Otis rewarded me with a hit between the shoulder blades with the butt of his shotgun. Keep it zipped, little girl. Hangnail don't like his meat spicy. 
He marched us along the reservoir's edge for a mile or so, then banked north and pointed us towards the woods. Even though I grew up in the rural hinterlands of deep Spotsylvania County, Virginia, the northernmost southern county in the Old Dominion, I was consistently amazed at the number of trees that grew in our area. Or anywhere, for that matter. I have friends who lived in the city, and every summer, Daddy let me spend a week or two at their houses. It was surprising how fast I got used to the streets and the concrete, the short walk to any store or theater or restaurant I had a mind to patronize, the clusters of people, the access to public services like the library where, truth be told, I tended to spend most of my time on those visits. And Fredericksburg was not that big of a city. I could walk from one end to another in less than an hour. But when the visit was over and Daddy came to pick me up, I was always astounded on the drive back by the quickness with which the city gave way to the wide open spaces and untamed forests that comprised the rest of the world. We took trips out west a few times where I saw the real landscape of the United States, and I realized just how much of the country belonged to nature, how we were just visitors, vacation renters, borrowing time on our little patch of earth. And that's exactly what we tramped through on our way to whatever fate lay in store for us. Woods, woods, and more woods. Y'all know I'm not a whiner, but the worst part of the whole ordeal wasn't the snow or the cold or the fact that some backcountry hillbilly got the drop on us. No. The worst part was that he made us keep our hands up the whole way. I took it upon myself to let him know exactly how I felt about that. Otis, you mind if we put our hands down? You got all our weapons and ain't like we, without a word, Otis took two steps forward and kicked me square into patootie, sent me flailing face first into the snow. I guess Timmy Carter didn't take kindly to it because as I was pushing myself back up, Otis was already saying, wouldn't do that if I was you. I got to my knees and wiped the snow off my face and shook it out of my hair. And sure enough, Timmy Carter turned to confront Otis, who leveled that shotgun right at his ample chest again. You ever seen what a shotgun can do to a man? Otis asked. He started cackling. <laughs> I have. I have. I got to my feet and touched Timmy Carter's arm to let him know I was okay. Otis, you dumb hillbilly, I said. All you had to do was say no. The old coot's black eyes fell on me, and the crazy smile faded from his face. Don't call me that. What, hillbilly? You don't like that, hillbilly? Otis's face went from angry to apoplectic in the space of about three seconds. Even Timmy Carter seemed to pick up on it. Names? Otis! Otis! Enoch! Abernathy the third! Wait, no, the fourth! Well, that's a great name, Otis, but... I still like Hillbilly better. How's Hillbilly Hank sound to you? He started to take a step toward me, but Timmy Carter got in his way. It's okay, Timmy Carter, I said. I can handle myself just fine. He hesitated before moving aside. Otis's eyes flitted back and forth between the two of us like a fart in a fan factory. He looked like he was trying to figure out what to do next, whether he was going to shoot us or just say something nasty. In the end, he didn't do either. He spat on the ground. Keep moving. Hangnail's waiting. And keep your goddamn hands up. This ain't no nature hike. After a few minutes, Timmy Carter glanced over at me. That was stupid. Yeah, got to him, though. Shut up, you two. We didn't talk for the rest of the hike. He steered us through the woods, taking us farther and farther north. About an hour later, he drove us up an embankment and down the other side where we was met by a solid wall of thick brush. Trees and thorny bushes and vines all intertwined to form a barrier 12 feet high like someone or something had built it up to keep the outside world out, which is exactly what someone had done because Otis set us up to one side, reached into a spot in the thicket and felt around, his eyes rolling up like he was trying to solve a physics problem. Then he gave us a brown smile. Y'all want to see some stuff? 
He yanked down hard, and the wall of branches and thorns shuddered. There was a squeal of metal on metal, and then the whole thing rolled inward, revealing a wondrous sight. It was a farm. Not that a farm should have been wondrous to me for obvious reasons. It wasn't the farm itself that was incredible, but two things about it that knocked my socks off. The sheer size of the main house and the three huge hothouses next to it. This wasn't no mere farm. This was a survivalist compound. Otis motioned for us to go inside, pushing on something to close the gate behind him. The gravel driveway led up to the main house, which was lit by a warm glowing light, and something on the roof glinted in the sun. Solar panels. A figure on a horse came galloping around from behind the house, reaching us in less than a minute. It was a woman all cartooned up in western wear, denim this and denim that and steel-toed boots and a 50-gallon hat. Even had herself a pair of six-shooters and holsters. Looked kind of ridiculous to me. The get-up I could understand. Plenty of people dressed that way in Spotsy, though I'd hazard a guess that we were more inclined towards camouflage pants and sweatshirts than crazy horse Montana gear. But the guns were silly. Gave me a good chuckle, though. Revolvers? Seriously? She could have gotten herself ten semi-automatics that were a hundred times better. She circled around us and nodded at the old man. Otis? Annie-o? What you got here? What, this? Fresh meat for hangnail. Hangnail's sick. Ain't that always the case? She looked at us some more, doubt showing in her eyes. Are they sick? Not from what I can tell. Found them out at the reservoir running from them damn balls. Jumped right into my lap, dumb bastards. Annie O circled around us a few more times. Girl's a little scrawny, but I like the big fella. I knew you would. Didn't I say that, didn't I? I ain't sure if he was expecting us to respond or not, but even if he did, there wasn't no way I was going to give him the satisfaction. Talkative pair, Annie O said. I taught him right. All right, then. He's eager to start, so come on. She spurred her horse and galloped off toward the big house. Oh, man. Timmy Carter and I shared another look. He didn't look scared, but I was downright terrified. Strangely enough, though, I also felt angry. Too much had happened for me to let this bunch take me out. Hives trying to kill me. Max trying to kill me. No way I was going to let a kooky old man and some middle-aged cosplayer get away with it. Otis shoved Timmy Carter in the back and said, Get moving, big boy! Hangnail's waiting! Timmy Carter stumbled forward, and I saw something in his expression shift. He'd had enough. He stood erect and rolled his shoulders back. You ever heard of this hangnail, Amanda? He asked. I've made plenty of hangnails in my time, Timmy Carter, I said. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I always think I can pull them out, but then they just keep going and going. Those are the worst. Otis shoved him. Move it, me! You know what I think, Amanda? What's that, Timmy Carter? I think there ain't no bullets left in that scatter barrel. Otis pumped his shotgun. You want to test that theory, boy? He shoved him again, and Timmy Carter began to sing. Hoo-wee! Another shove. I'm warning you. And they got into a rhythm. Hangnail, hangnail, ingrown hair. Otis shoved him on the word hair. Prickly peach or a pork you? Shove. Do you want the vodka? Do you want some? Shove. Do you want salvation for the worst of you? This time, Timmy Carter timed it perfect. Right when he's supposed to say that last word, he ducked to the left. Notice, already in mid-shove, flew forward and landed flat on his face. The shotgun exploded underneath him and he shook him once still. Damn, Timmy Carter, you killed Otis! I went over and kicked the old man in the ribs. He whelped and rolled onto his back. His eyes were wide open and he was hugging that shotgun to his chest. But I couldn't see no blood nowhere. Please don't hurt me. I yanked the gun out of his grasp. What's the matter with you? 
Nothing. Nothing's the matter with me. I'm just a crazy old fool. Well, you got that right. I heard a couple of cracks like fireworks going off, and up by the big house came Annie O herself, thundering down the drive. She had the reins between her teeth and was firing both six-shooters at us like she was Clint Eastwood. A few hit the dirt at our feet, but that was about it, because here's the thing about riding a horse and shooting. It don't work. The shooting part, that is. Trying to shoot a gun while you're riding a horse is about as accurate as a cat balancing a checkbook. Still didn't hurt to move around, make it harder. There were snow-covered hay bales humped like dead rhinos in the fields beside us, each one at least ten feet high and just as round. We took cover behind the nearest one. They've got my gun! They've got my gun! Otis yelled. I peeked around the bale and saw him streaking up the drive, waving his arms. Annie O rode right by him, sending up rocks and snow in her wake. She fired again and I ducked behind the bale. How many you here? Timmy Carter asked. Seven. Another shot cracked in the air. Eight. He pumped the shotgun and a single casing popped out. How many are left, do you think? He tried to crack it open to see, but it was clear he'd never handled a gun like that in his life. Give that to me, Timmy Carter. You'd like to blow your own head off. He handed it over, and at the same time, Annie O shot off two more rounds. That's ten, I said. I cracked the shotgun open. There wasn't any shells left. Timmy Carter, squat down and let me get on your shoulders. What? Just do it. I clambered up and tried to balance myself, holding on to his bald head with one hand and his shotgun with the other. No, don't stand up all the way, just enough to let me peek over the top. He did, and Annie O squeezed off another round, and I ducked, hissing. Eleven. She's right there, scoot forward. I cocked that shotgun back over my shoulder just like it was a bat, and I thought to myself, here's a three years of softball. Annie O's horse galloped closer and closer. I took a deep breath. Had to time it just right. Riding a horse to the food bank cut our trip in half. We quadrupled our load, too. Filling up our empty packs and a full tarp we found with enough canned food and other non-perishables to last at least a month. Timmy and I let the bigger animal plow a path through the snow as we walked home. About halfway there, I stopped to make sure the tarp was strapped on tight. Didn't want to lose no beefaroni or cheese ravioli and white sauce. Timmy Carter just watched me as he was uncertain about any animals larger than Maggie May. You want to explain to me why we didn't use your horse to do this in the first place? Who, Lucky? Lucky might be big, but she's about the laziest princess I ever did meet. Well, she's a horse, isn't she? Only in the strictest definition. How so? Daddy treated that old girl better than me. Pampered her like she was the king's consort. Gross. Not like that, idiot. I finished my work and we walked her the rest of the way home. It was dark out by the time we got back to the farm, and the temperature had dropped significantly. I was ready for the day to be over. I just wanted to stand in front of the wood stove and let the heat bring my fingers and toes back to life. Ray was waiting at the new section of the wall, Maggie Mae barking behind him. He opened the gate with a squeal and she bounded for us, nipping at her fingers and hopping around in the snow. I squatted down and pet her, scratching her behind the ears. How you guys doing? Ray asked me. Don't ask. Okay. That's not lucky, is it? I, I thought, no, it ain't lucky. We took her off someone. Who? Let's get all this put away first. I need to get warmed up by the stove. Get a mug of tea in me. Okay. Later on, we told him everything. About the storms, how Otis caught us, Hangnails Farm. I think they were going to eat us, I said. Timmy Carter laughed. Think. They kept calling us meat. Ray was quiet for a while. You think there's something to worry about? He asked. Uh, yeah. But there's only two of them, right? Two of them and Hangnail, whoever that is. Okay, so three. We got at least ten people here and plenty of guns. I don't think that matters one bit, Ray. They're sick and desperate. Ain't no telling what they'll do. 
It's kind of sad, isn't it? Sad? Just the fact that the world's come to this is all. Timmy Carter and I shared a look. We can get all philosophical some other time, I said. Right now, we gotta watch out for that crew. They come for us again. We're gonna have to take them out. Ray sat back and looked at me a little shocked. Made me laugh. (laughs) What's that look for, Ray? You know who I am. Ain't nobody does something like that to me and gets away with it. Yeah, I believe that. You better believe it. Hey, hey, thank you for tuning into the Mad Tales podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's chapter. If you cannot wait until next week to finish the story, you can always buy it in ebook and paperback form from Amazon.com, or you can buy it directly from me, both in ebook and in paperback, a signed paperback nonetheless, uh, from my website, www.jamesnoll.net. That's www.jamesnoll.net. And if you would love to support me on Patreon, I would love you to support me on Patreon. I'm offering all kinds of cool extras, including access to bonus material, uh, the ebooks released one week at a time, the chapter at a time, uh, customized short stories. And if I can build enough of a following, I want to film a live action version of Make the Hive Great Again, one of my favorite chapters from the Hive. It's uh, at the end of the first season. It's the very last chapter of the of the first season. That would be an awesome thing to do. So if you want to visit my Patreon page, it's www.patreon.com slash madtails. That would be fantastic. And I will see you guys next week.